You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. With elder abuse, um, and his name's Mark Spicks. He's an attorney here in Atlanta, Georgia. But uh, Mark also was a former prosecutor and now a, a renowned uh, criminal defense attorney. But he also uh, has taken on... Um, several issues dealing with uh, uh, elder abuse and dealing with the elderly. So we're going to talk to Mark and get the idea of uh, things that he would suggest um, through his experience, what he's seen uh, in terms of cases and how best to deal with attorneys. And uh, I want to welcome you, Mark. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Uh, As you know, the Safe Senior Hour for the new listeners, uh, Safe Stands for Seniors Abused and Financially Exploited. And uh, remember, elder abuse doesn't report itself. It's a uh, it's a topic as our uh, uh, seniors are starting to age. We're getting more and more our population. We're getting more and more seniors, so uh, it's it's a very appropriate topic. So uh, uh, we will uh, go over um, some of the issues and some of the matters that we're looking at, and uh, in terms of uh, elder abuse and things like that. And I know Mark had had a very significant case that went to the Supreme Court here dealing with um, financial exploitation. But first, I want to welcome you, Mark, and, and just go over that, uh, how your interest and your, your background and um, that you had in elder abuse matters. Well, real briefly, I've practiced law in Georgia for 43 years, and a lot of the legal issues that I address as I get older have more and more to do with elder abuse, whether it be emotional, financial, or physical abuse. So I sort of just naturally evolved into that part of it. But I was fortunate enough also to teach at Georgia State's Law School in their night program, so I had people who were uh, entering second careers. They were an aging population. And I was a certified agent for Major League Baseball for 10 years. And when I got out of it, I maintained my contacts with retired players. So those three skill sets have put me in contact with uh, elder people, and usually elder people with some exposure. So I think I come to it quite naturally. No, I do, and I do want to thank him. He, uh, Mark also is uh, as, as, as volunteered to be our lawyer for the North Georgia Elder Abuse Task Force Foundation. And, and it's, it's a pleasure to bring somebody with his experience and skill helping support this uh, foundation. Uh, the issues that, that deal with, with the elderly, obviously, uh, you know, can happen to anybody when you talk about, you know, fraud or scams or things like that. So it's, it's a, a, an issue that everybody should be aware of, and uh, the financial exploitation, unfortunately, uh, that we've seen, and like to hear your thoughts, a lot of it's done by the family uh, or somebody they love or somebody they trust. There are scams that take place from outsiders, and we'll talk some about that. But when you see family members that are getting, uh, uh, that come in and, and abuse their uh, uh, their position of, of, of trust for a, a loved one who might have dementia or something like that. Those are really sad. Well, I agree with you. I, I, I look at my role as a lawyer as sort of a Hobson's choice 
as far as preventing elder abuse because the temptation that lawyers have is to say to the family at large, you need to take care of the most vulnerable of your own family. When you do that and you advocate that they grab some authority and they take the bull by the horn, so to speak, you may very well be steering a very vulnerable victim, an elder person, into the hands of an opportunistic relative who doesn't have their best interests at heart. And we see that uh, in the cases being the law enforcement coordinator for the North Georgia Elder Abuse Task Force. We see uh, many, many crimes like that where you'll see the family thought that, and again, you remember we're dealing with seniors who their kids are in their 40s, 50s. They're not kids' kids, and but they'll have two or three uh, uh, children, and people move on. They move to various parts of the country, so the they'll they'll allow the people closest, uh, the son or relative, to take over. And well, that could be somebody who doesn't have the best interest of the of the senior at heart. It has their interest as the primary interest. Right. It's been my experience. You take a, an elder couple or an elder person that has four children, all grown, and you advocate that the family get a little bit more involved. The most opportunistic of the four children may very well be opportunistic because he's looking or she's looking to insinuate their, their themselves into a financial position that benefits them at the detriment of the elder person. I, I, I couldn't concur more. And, and, and again, just a little more background. Mark didn't go into it. I, I know Mark and his, uh, uh, when he was more involved in, in criminal cases, was on, uh, I know, on national news and local news is speaking as a uh, observer or expert on on, on uh, issues, court issues. So, uh, and I think you would agree that the last place you want to have to settle everything is in court. That if you could settle things beforehand or get them resolved, you don't want to go to court. Court is expensive. Well, it's expensive and it's never convenient. And it can be very protracted, and elder people uh, don't have as much time and the benefit of wasting time the way I did when I was a younger man. No, I, I, no, I, I, I agree. I, I think it's, I go out and speak, and I've spoken to over 3,000 seniors throughout North Georgia, and, and we've had comments about that, and, and um, they say, well, who, who can I go to with my problems if... If the police say it's a civil issue, who do we go to? And um, I know as, as, as we might go on and cover this a little bit later, but, you know, there are lawyers out there that, that specialize in, in, in various elder issues, but the issues that we look at are basically people who are lying, cheating, and stealing who are, who are in the financial scam area. Um, and so... <clears throat> We tell them, you know, private attorneys available, and and I know this goes throughout the country, <clears throat> this show, and it goes around the world. So whatever you call them, lawyers, uh, barristers, or whatever in your countries, that, that there are people who specialize in elders, and there's I think there's an elder law section right. of, of the Bar Association. Right. So, you know, well, I guess my point is, and, uh, and ask you, because you're the expert, not every lawyer... Is is specialized in this kind of work, 
Now, they might be specialized in fraud and theft, but they're not specialized in dealing with the elderly elderly issues. So uh, that is an option. You can call your bar association in your state or your area to find who are the elder, right? Is it the elder section, I think it's called? Well, we have an elder abuse section. We have an elder law section right. here in the Georgia Bar. Right. But you're not even limited in your resources to the bar associations, local, statewide, even federally. You know, most of the uh, community service organizations that, that I've been associated with and most of the ones that I've interfaced with, and I've put down roots in Nashville, Tennessee, and Ohio, and North Georgia, and Middle Georgia, and North Florida, and in every one of those communities, you could go to the Legal Aid Society and find um, at least a referral program to get you to the right people to help someone who is a victim of elder abuse. Right, and a lot of times those legal aid people are uh, are, are free. Well, yeah, the the initial service, the consulting right. service, and the referral mechanism would probably be free in all the examples I just gave. But they may be sending you to someone who does it for compensation. Each case is different, right? And compensation can be directly paying upfront money or a percentage of the recovery or things in that, right? Right. And some of the statutes that I'm familiar with—Tennessee, Florida, Georgia—they have mechanisms so the attorney can get paid either from the wrongdoer or from the proceeds collected from the wrongdoer, and sometimes even from a general fund that is funded by either the, the community association or the local bar. Well, I, I, I see that, and especially as I go out in the rural areas, and, and there are, I know in, in North Georgia, there, are, there is a very good uh, legal aid program, and um, it's just a matter of finding out where it is to, to call and set up appointment and meet with them for the initial consultation. Right. Uh, and, and, I, and I think that might help people after the initial con- consultation of what direction to go in. Because what might seem uh, just an out, outright criminal violation might not be a criminal violation. It might be solely civil, but you've been wronged. And, and I think people got to understand that there. There are, there are ways to approach an issue, and uh, one is the legal remedy, which can be criminal or civil, or administrative, and, and we see that here in Georgia a lot. Well, yeah. Is that yeah, fair on the three things? Is that basically it? Yeah, I would say that's fair. I, I also think that getting a victim, and I'm not a person that subscribes totally to the the credos and saturation of victimology but when you're dealing with somebody who's vulnerable like say an elder person who has dementia uh, when you go to the community services that I've been talking about generally they are pretty strong advocates for the victim and they will send you whether it be towards an administrative remedy or uh, an arbitration uh, resolution, or to even to the police, they're 
inclination is to send you to somebody who's really going to advocate for you and take a pretty aggressive posture for the vulnerable victim. And I think that's important because one of the things you sent me was asking for comments on arbitration and so forth. The last thing you need to have happen is have somebody trundled into some arbitration program that's been set up by the people who are abusing them to continue the abuse, to drag it on, to make it more costly, to keep the uh, remedies uh, ever so elusive. You don't. You just don't want to do that. You want to get them to somebody who understands why they're unique and why they're vulnerable. Well, I uh, I know as I as as I, I speak to, to the various seniors that some of them had concerns when we're talking about institutional issues and institutional abuse that you will see the um, in the contract that they signed to bring their loved ones into a nice home that that issues are to be resolved by an arbitration clause. Is that, is that uh, have you seen such things or are they common, these arbitration clause? Well, they're common. Um, for instance, I don't know uh, what the age demographic of this listening audience is, but anybody who's ever owned a franchise, when you sign a franchise agreement, they don't want to go to court. There's usually a, a, a clause in there saying that all disputes will be subjected to arbitration. If you get a credit card nowadays, there's usually a clause in there saying you have to arbitrate any of your disputes. And my admonition to people who are advocating for vulnerable victims is that you don't sign an agreement that says that you'll let the credit card pick the arbitrator in Minnesota and go up there and lose. And we have a very, very storied history in Georgia of abusive institutionalized clauses like that, one of which was a credit card company that demanded that all citizens of Georgia that use their credit card subject their disputes to arbitration in Minnesota. Ironically, no consumer. Right. I think we're going to go in. I didn't mean to, to cut you off, but we're going to end this segment here, and we'll come back and hear the rest about the credit card stories because people need to be aware of what they're signing. And with that, uh, we'll take a break from our first segment. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to uh, the second segment of the Safe Senior Hour. And remember, as we always say, elder abuse doesn't report itself. We're very fortunate today to have an attorney here from uh, Georgia, Mark uh, Spicks, who uh, uh, also happens to be our uh, represent the uh, North Georgia Elder Abuse Task Force Foundation. And uh, Mark's been very knowledgeable and uh, about uh, uh, educating the public on various issues dealing with legal matters. And uh, we've asked him to come today. Thank you for coming, Mark. You're welcome. Thanks and, for having me. And um, we've just been talking about situations uh, about watching out in contracts uh, where settlement would be done. You've signed to agree to do it by arbitration rather than be able to go to your your own court in your own own district. If you could explain, I'm, I'm not explaining it very well, but you can kind of go over that from our last segment. Well, in our last segment... I think the introduction to the topic was, you know, would I or do people who are counseling to prevent elder abuse, would they recommend um, clauses in contracts that require arbitration or even mediation? And my point was that you've got to get to the right forum. I mean, arbitration may very well be a first step towards the right forum, but not as in the credit card example where they say, okay, well, Mr. Elder Citizen who resides in North Georgia, you must come to Minnesota to submit your claim to arbitration, and you must arbitrate in front of our chosen arbitrator. We know from experience what that yielded in Georgia. Not a single Georgia uh, consumer of a certain credit card ever won an arbitration. Okay, well, what does that mean? That means that everybody in Georgia arbitrates losing positions. They've never had an articulable winner. I doubt that. What it means is that the, 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 the skids were greased by the credit card company up in Minnesota. Right, that you'd have to go up there for the arbitration. There's travel and there's issues. Right. Yeah, I, I, and I had I have not checked. I have not seen a, a contract, but I've had seniors at these meetings that, that I, I speak to talk about, you know, we'll, they'll put a loved one in a, in a, in a um, long-term care facility and there'll be a provision in there. Um, and my, my recommendation, I make clear, I'm not a lawyer, but to see your lawyer or see the legal aid, see talk to somebody if you have a concern about that. Um, should we have the same concern about mediation? We hear about mediation. Is mediation is it in a contract or is that something a judge orders or is that something lawyers agree on or both? All three. All three. Okay. I mean, I've seen uh, disputes that start in court and a judge says you need to go to mediation. You've got a better chance right. of an expeditious resolution <laughs> in mediation than sitting around here waiting for the next jury or even a, a bench trial. But if if I was dealing with somebody who was entering into a contract to be a resident at a nursing home and they brought me the contract and the contract said that all disputes would be mediated or arbitrated, I would focus on where is the mediation or arbitration taking place and how do we select what we call the neutral. Because if there's not a selection process 
somewhat guaranteeing a neutral neutral, it's a waste of time. It's a rigged system. Right. Well, I, I think, and that's something that they need to look at, and um, and, and I think that um, uh, it's just something we need to, we need to think about, and 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 each senior should do that as they uh, as they place uh, uh, go to make a placement in a long term care facility. While we're we, we're talking about that, and I know you have some knowledge and, and legal expertise in. Well, we've seen more, and I saw this in Tennessee, and I see it here, cases where uh, people in a long-term care facility, be it a nursing home, be it an assisted living home, or whatever, are are concerned about their loved ones, and that some have gone the extent of putting cameras in the rooms and, um, and trying to record everything, uh, both in... I had one one um, son who said he put a, a recorder in a room where his mother was in a private room where it was both sound and um, and video. And uh, we have seen that. There's been some prosecutions based on videos. It's what saves, saves them. I'm just wondering what's your advice to the family uh, when they're thinking of doing something like that. There's things they've got to think about. Well... In today's society, with the technology that we have, there's an interest um, on everyone's part to document, monitor, and assure that they have a validatable, if there's such a word, um, scenario of what happened if there's ever a dispute over what happened. So if you're worried about the physical care of a loved one and you got a camera in there, you can document exactly what the physical care is. If you've got a uh, sound monitor and you're worried about the conversations that are taking place, you can document those. The downside of it is, are you invading someone's privacy? Are you eavesdropping? Are you violating their right to privacy with respect to the cameras? And then in some of these nursing homes, you got HIPAA issues. I mean, is it someone's business as to, to what sort of drugs you're taking? Is it someone else's business as to what sort of tests you're having, what your diagnosis is? Each state's different. There's some overlap with the federal government, as you know from your history. Um, I'd look at each case individually and say, what's the best for the person that we're trying to protect? Right, and, and I think what we've seen, because I've looked at, at some of the evidence, <clears throat> the <clears throat> federal government rules are you can always record a conversation you're a party to on the federal law. Each state then has an addition, could have addition, additional requirements where you have to have a two-party consent, as long as you're a party to the conversation. So the, the scenario that, that's been brought to me many, many times is I'll place a loved one in a in a assisted living or nursing home, and they have a private room. Um, can we record both sound and if and um, uh, sound and video? Um, you know, my my answer always is talk to a lawyer. But the, the the situation there is it's a private room, but you have somebody who's in the hospital, or I mean a nursing home, or or. Uh, 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 a assistant living, they have to have knowledge or be able to have knowledge that they're doing it. It's an issue. 
that, that needs to be addressed. So as people come in the room and the camera's going, um, you know, that, that, was our, that was my concern and other people were talking about at this meeting. So your thoughts, single room, nobody else in the person is of full mind, just 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 old needs assistance and eating and things, but has a clear mind and agrees to the camera. Does that look like it's an issue to you? Well, I hate to cameras are different than audio. We started this conversation with an audio. Right. If I was in a, if I was of sound mind, and capable of contracting and capable of making decisions and I was a sole resident of a hospital room and I wanted to record all of the conversations to make sure there was never a a mistake as to what I consented to I can clearly in the state of Georgia um, monitor the conversations pictures uh, somewhat different scenario and pictures are made even more difficult under this scenario when you're talking about a hospital room which is incredibly private and who puts the camera there and who all is subject to being video spied on um yeah i'd have to look at the circumstances. no no i understand that and i think that's the point i'm trying to make to people out there every every situation is different and i know you want to take care of your loved ones and you want to take care of that. You don't want any abuse. And I mean, I can tell you some of the videos that 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 has has helped prosecute cases are cases where people are uh, are uh, where there's a video where they're being pulling a, a a string to call, which rings an alarm that they need help, that they were in pain, and the uh, staff comes and does nothing and ends up making jokes and doesn't answer this guy. In fact, the case was a Korean War veteran, and he ended up passing away. But they did nothing. And uh, when they were confronted by the, uh, initially by the lawyers, they said, oh, they did everything to keep him alive. They took action. Well, the video showed that wasn't the case, that they were there laughing, sitting on the edge of the bed, and said, oh, he rings that bell all the time. So I can see why loved ones would like it, but they need to remember when they do things like this, there's, there, there are rules and regulations and laws that they must follow. So um, out of an abundance of caution, I would say talk to a lawyer before you, you arbitrarily do it. Just, Good advice. Just to cover you. Now, the other point that can, comes up on these homes, uh, these assisted living or nursing homes, is there two to a room where there's like maybe uh, you're in a room but there might be a curtain separating it but it's clearly not a wall there you have two people in a room that everything is being recorded or videoed and those are things that cause more of an issue do you like to comment on that well so I'm in a semi-private room and I'm taping every conversation that I have but under your scenario with a curtain separating me from my fellow patient the recorder goes on and i accidentally record the other patient having conversations with his doctor under georgia law 
I'm not a part of that conversation. They're not right. going to consult me, fellow patient, about the treatment and the diagnosis. I think I'm violating the law if I record that conversation. As far as the video, there are more issues with the video other than who's participating and who knows about it. There's there's privacy issues that trump that. I I, I understand it, and and I, I even go go further in a situation that I know we have. In a, in a um, uh, long-term care facility, um, well, t- the camera in question were cameras by the company, by the owner, in the hallways in the quote the public area. Well, the question is, are the hallways on the third floor public, or is it just the lobby? But anyway, it was the it was the camera that showed an individual uh, almost every day around the same time a male going into a woman who had almost complete dementia that she had no idea where she was, what she was doing and it turned out that they were able to prove that she was raped and and actually what helped bring charges was this video did not inside the room but of the hallway of this uh, an orderly, or there's some other term they called them, but it was basically an orderly, who would go in, he'd look around and go in the room almost every day and would rape her. Of course, the woman had no knowledge about it. Um, uh, thank God somebody observed it, and they, they had some tests and got some DNA, I believe, in that case. But it was the video that pinpointed the, the, the subject. So, um, But that's done by the company. And uh, and so the issue, you know, it's it's an issue that that people face constantly. The the other issue that 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 uh, people face, and and um, is everybody has a cell phone these days, and everybody on the cell phone can can record video and sound. Well, they've had cases. I know one in Tennessee where they actual the staff filmed. A, uh, a a person with severe dementia uh, in very in a very uh, horrible sexual connotation filmed it. You hear him laughing, talking about it, and then they put it on the internet and and showed it. And they were um, obviously uh, somebody complained. The authorities came in and and I made an arrest. Uh, first of all, the the, the photographing of the, of this horrible situation but putting it on the internet or, or Facebook so it's there are issues out there that happen all the time and just I think the the uh, matter we're trying to, to, to say is and I think you would agree Mark if you have a concern I know you care for your loved ones but please talk to your um, to, to an attorney before you make any moves when you do that to protect you and your loved one with that, that's the end of segment two, and we'll be moving into our third segment in, uh, in a moment. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. 
Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome back to our third segment of the Safe Senior Hour. Uh, we, uh, as we always remind people, elder abuse doesn't report itself. And that if you have any questions, comments, uh, or uh, items of interest, please feel free to email us at safe at America's Web Radio. Uh, uh, with that, uh, we have, uh, like, again, to uh, uh, let you know we have our guest, Mark Spix, an attorney here in Atlanta, who uh, has uh, 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 much experience in the, certainly in, in the legal world and, uh, um, and is here today to go over some issues concerning seniors. And we've had some pretty, pretty interesting discussions. Uh, last one was about uh, using cameras and and recording devices in uh, the institutional situations for your loved ones. But uh, we want to thank Mark for coming. But on this segment, we're going to talk more about a case that you worked that dealt with financial exploitation of a senior. We've talked about all sorts of scams that happen and. Um, uh, Mark uh, had a case that I think went all the way went to the Supreme Court of Georgia, dealing with with a senior with financial exploitation. And again, this just shows you one of the ways it, it go it, it financial uh, fraud can take place and 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 how it happens. So, if Mark, if you can just kind of help discuss that, and we'll be uh, might enlighten the audience on things not to do and and how. You go about uh, taking on uh, people who who abuse the seniors. Well, thank you. But let, let let me just start this by saying that lawyers are fond of telling stories, particularly about cases they won. Um, 
And what I think is interesting and entertaining isn't always what an audience thinks is interesting and entertaining. But in this instance, of all the anecdotal uh, information I have regarding financial abuse of uh, the elderly, this case I think is the most noteworthy and the most remarkable because it brings in so many people that you would normally trust and discloses how that can even go awry. And the case that you're talking about, there was a gentleman who had served, had two careers in the military, and he had uh, saved his money, he had invested wisely, and he had an estate of uh, over $800,000 in stock alone. And the type of stock that he had purchased was the type of stock that actually shares are, are issued. Sometimes when you're listeners buy stock they just call a broker they buy some stock in um, procter and gamble they never even see the shares they just will go on a website and they look and they see how it's monitored as far as the dividends and the the pricing this gentleman bought aflac uh regions and another stock i can't remember the third one and all of those in georgia um, issues paper shares and he had the paper shares at home, and he had accounted for them in his will to his two children. And he was you know, living off the dividends, but the stocks continued to grow in value. And some people that I would characterize as ne'er-do-wells um, prevailed upon him to go with them to a bank and sign over the stock shares to them. And when they went to the bank, which most of your listeners probably think, well, I'd go to the bank to get a notary, or I'd go to the bank to have somebody make sure that I wasn't being fleeced by an ne'er-do-well, they took this gentleman who was suffering from Alzheimer's, Mm -hmm. severe dementia, had failed every test that they give you on as far as competency. They took him to the local bank, with his paper shares and he was not ambulatory he couldn't even walk in the bank they took the shares they held them underneath his hand they put a pen in his hand and they moved the paper to to have an ink x on the shares transferring eight hundred thousand dollars worth of stock and a bank officer uh, witnessed it well the bank officer knew full well that this person did not sign his name with an X. He signed his name very, very legibly, uh, and it was a long name. It wasn't short like mine. And they did nothing to you know, impair or impede or prevent this transaction, and off went the ne'er-do-wells with $800,000 of conveyed shares under what banks call the Signature Medallion Program, where they certified that that X was, in fact, the signature of this elderly gentleman. Well, when he passed away later on, and the children were looking forward to their $800,000 of shares, uh, they found out that it had been taken, and they went to the uh, respective institutions where the shares were issued, and they said, we want to see our father's signature. He had dementia. He couldn't possibly have sold these shares. And they showed him the X's, and they worked backwards from there, and they found the bank officer who had witnessed it under the signature medallion program. So they came to me, and I sued to set aside the transaction, and the bank 
incredibly, the bank, our friends, the people that your listeners may think are there to help them, the bank came forward and said, we don't certify the signature of our customer so our customer can rely on it. The, the reliance is for the people who take the, the share certificate. So Mr. So-and-so and his family cannot sue us because they never relied on the signature. And that's the case that you're talking about that went to the Supreme Court because yeah, I was aghast. I thought, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> nobody, nobody cares about whether or not the recipient who's the thief is relying on the bogus signature. It was also designed to protect the person who had Alzheimer's and dementia. And the Supreme Court ruled in his favor. And we ended up settling the case because it was just so costly. But uh, we settled it after we got favorable rulings, so obviously they got some of their money. Through the various court, you had to work your way up in the court to the Court of Appeals? And I almost tried the case twice. I, 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 I tried it. They were asking for a new trial. We went to the Court of Appeals. We went to the Supreme Court. That's costly. Any of your listeners who have had litigation experience can tell you that what I just recited in one sentence as to the journey of this case is expensive. Right, and that, and in that case, so the, the the facts are so horrific to me that you would rely on a on a bank where a gentleman, where somebody moved a piece of paper to put an X when the person didn't have his ability at that time to do it, is just amazing. I mean, I agree with you, and I kind of tell that story that that story. I tell that that fa- the the facts of that incident, and people are aghast. And I said. You just never know if something doesn't. If you feel something's wrong here, here the the, the family felt something was wrong. Well, they knew that that they had a father who had been very frugal, who had lived his life to to leave a little bit of a legacy to his two children, and when they went to the reading of the will, there was nothing there, and they just knew that wasn't the father that they had known all their lives, and. Uh, to bring it full circle, there was a video of this guy signing in the way I recited because the bank had video cameras, as most of your listeners know, to prevent robberies. And there's a posting outside that says, under FDIC rules, we're recording everything. So there there was no question about what was done to you know get a proposed or supposed signature. This was in a parking lot where right. they did it. That's great. They brought somebody from inside the bank out, and this was done. Um, the The perpetrators were in the car with him. They weren't his relatives, correct? Right. The perpetrators were in the car. They got out of the car. They went and got a bank officer. They brought the bank officer out in the parking lot. They held. Your viewers can't see well, what I'm wrong, doing. You took. You took. We're, we're we're showing it right now. But they held the the paper underneath the by by the side door out the window they took his hand and they put a pen in his hand and they rested it on the ledge of the door and then they moved the paper to make an x and the x wasn't i mean you know it the x wasn't like a crisp right you know straight lined x the x was jiggly and 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 sometimes the pen didn't stay on the paper it was a joke it was no signature well i i think that's a perfect example that when the when the children became aware of it 
they went and, and addressed it with for legal help. I mean, that's exactly um, rather than, I don't know, did they confront the bank first before they went to you? I, mean, I don't know whether it's important. They confronted the bank. They confronted the bank's officer. They confronted, uh, well, one of the um, companies was Aflac. Aflac's a good company. They were not complicit in it. Right. But Aflac issued a paper share certificate, like to you. Then somebody came in and said, I purchased this uh, share from Mr. Gavalis, and here's his signature. And they looked, and they said, well, how do we know that's his signature? And they looked at the bank officer's signature medallion endorsement. And it's just like people look at a notary stamp right. on a deed, and they said, well, it must have been, everything must have been done according to Hoyle. But it wasn't. Well, it's just amazing that it it just shows you if you suspect something uh, or something that just doesn't seem right to you, please go to a professional, whether it be law enforcement, whether it be a lawyer, be legal aid, or go to a good friend and say, does this look right to you? And then after that, take it to a professional to try to get some help. Again, not all the time it's going to be a story like Mark just told but again, it will help you resolve your issues of what you think wrong is going on. So with that, we're going to end our third segment of the Safe Senior Hour. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? and what is the best place to go for the care that is needed. We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around town movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, 
around town movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's around town movers. Call them. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to uh, the final session of uh, <clears throat> for today of the Safe Senior Hour. Again, we're very fortunate. We have uh, Attorney Mark Spix with us talking about his experiences and 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 uh, dealings with uh, uh, elder abuse matters and and senior matters and. Uh, we always like to remind you, elder abuse doesn't report itself. So make sure if you have an issue and you want to help out your loved ones or your friends, make sure you go to a professional and tell them, be it a regulatory agency, be it uh, uh, the, the local police or whatever the law enforcement community is, please tell them about the issues and they'll be glad to uh, to look at it, listen. And not every time will they take a case, not every time is a, is a case provable, but you need to get this off your mind. And remember, when you look at doing cases, they're like puzzles. Your piece of the puzzle might be exactly what they need to go after X, Y, and Z. But without that piece of the puzzle, they can't move any farther. So what you think might not be important is very important. So for our last segment, and um, we welcome Mark again to, for, for his thoughts is a common uh, issue when we go out and speak to seniors and we talk about going to professionals, going to a a lawyer. As I I remind everybody in the classes in here, I'm not a lawyer that some of these issues need legal expertise. So um, what what we're going to talk with Mark about is, you know, some thoughts about choosing an attorney. And when you have an attorney, what... How do you bring it to the attorney? What kind of issues? What kind of documents? How, how, how do you address that initial meeting, whether it be the uh, uh, legal aid or a, a uh, private attorney or a government attorney or investigator? Well, every lawyer that I know has a different intake process or procedure. Um, and every institution that refers people to lawyers has a unique process for doing that. Sometimes if a family goes to a community uh, resource like Legal Aid and they say, well, we think that uh, our loved one is being uh, financially abused or taken advantage of, there's usually a set of (coughs) documents and uh, brochures that the Legal Aid staffer can give the people and say you need to gather all this up and we do have a referral network so from the lawyer's perspective that particular lawyer in that instance has somebody out there sort of screening people and telling them what to do i don't have in my uh, method of obtaining clients is not institutional heavy it's it's just friend and network heavy so if you had, or if one of your listeners had a relative who was being abused or, or taken advantage of financially, and they heard about me, they would make their own phone call or their own entreaty to see me or to converse with me. And in that conversation, those people tend to want to audition their case and their matter. So not only will you take it, but you'll take it and you'll be enthused about it. When you do that, 
from the consumer's standpoint, you tend to, to focus on outrageous activity. Outrageous activity and outrageous comments aren't always what drives a case forward. Sometimes there's a technical violation that will yield much more. So people call me up, short answer, people call me up all the time and they tell me that they start, they lead with the, uh, the most outrageous thing that somebody said to their loved one or did to their loved one. And I'll say, okay, that's horrible, and and I I do want to hear about that, but I would like to see some paperwork. And I was telling you during the break that most of the people in today's society have sufficient technological resources that they can get me all of the documents by scanning or photographing them and simply emailing them to me or faxing them to me. And then it's appropriate to have a conversation and you want your lawyer to listen to what you think is important, but sometimes what you think is important and is the most outrageous isn't what drives the engine to recovery. Uh, I, it's so true, and I saw that being a federal agent. It's You might have to go through, in our case, interviewing somebody you know, and listening to just exactly what you said is the, the outrage and what they think are just so important and so such an issue until you have to start bringing them down to get down to the root of the problem and what what started it, what caused it. And again, you, you remember in cases, and, and you all watch enough TV out there and know how they go, the worst cases are he said, she said. I um, mean, you see that all the time. It's uh, uh, We always uh, used to like say the silent witness, like fingerprints or or a document that some other agency, an independent person, has. Those things, you know, they are what they are. And so these are the type of issues that, that you need to bring and sit down and talk to, to counsel. And, and, I, and I know of that from a situation that took place in North Georgia, which just still kind of amazed me. Is a situation where we had in uh, way up on the Tennessee border, where people in Tennessee, Alabama, and Georgia were were approached constantly by a gentleman who was uh, selling these sheds, these metal sheds you put in your backyards. You can see them, or wooden sheds, and uh, he would come in and uh, have people sign a contract and say, "I just need some upfront money." And and they said, well, how much do you need? Let's say the shed cost seven thousand stalls. He said, I need thirty five hundred. And they said, we don't have it. And he said, well, you can pay me a thousand or two thousand. So they do it, but but he gave him a piece of paper and initialed it. <clears throat> well, when they complained, and they never got their shed, and everybody would say, what's well, kind of a civil issue? Uh, well, what documents do you have? Well, they forgot all about that piece of paper they had where they said they gave him a 1000 to come and do the sheds. Well, maybe one would be a civil issue, but this gentleman did 30 of them. And so, and Mark, being a prosecutor, a former prosecutor, he knows, you put 30 together as the same MO, where, and everybody had this magical piece of paper, which a lot of people f- forgot about. They said he came in, and they start going how nice he was. They start describing everything. Well, wasn't until you had the paper where it said he collected $1,000 or whatever it was. So the, you might have to go through a long period of time explaining it, but what the, the professional wants to see is what do you have in the way of a document? What do you have in the way of another, another witness? Because what you said and he said are two different things, but that document spoke for itself, and 30 of them did. In that case, he was arrested. 
there were uh, 33 victims, and he took over uh, $200,000 of money that he never delivered one shed, one anything. It was just a scam. And just a sidelight to that was we talked about this case at a, at a law enforcement meeting, and I'll be darned, another jurisdiction came up and said, you know, we had the same type scam, different family, went out and sold 80 of these. It was over $300,000. It's like, you know, who would think the shed scam? But you got to remember, where there's a will, there's a way, and crooks, any way they want to find money, they'll do it. And most of the victims are elderly. And a lot of them would not have done or reported because they didn't have money for a lawyer because it was a civil issue because they did call some lawyers. And they said, well, it would take it so much and it wasn't enough money for them to recover to go look at it. So when you see some issues and you raise and, and you think you're right, go to a professional. Go to, you know, they don't cost money, your law enforcement, your adult protection people, uh, legal aid. And maybe you will end up with a private attorney, or maybe you'll end up in this case. We have two people that, two groups of people that went to jail. Just wasn't one person, it was groups of people. So that's important. So just stop and think before you, you, we talk about the outrage curve, and and I talked to to Mark about it many times, and I see that especially in the private world that I'm working now. People are so outrageous, they'll spend any amount of money to get, get their money back or or to, or to get somebody punished. Well, when they start seeing the cost of doing this, the outrage kind of comes down, and they're not so interested anymore. That Can you just get some of the money back? I don't care. I don't want to spend the extra money to, to go to take them to court. So there's a lot of discussions that go on. So first of all, start with the professionals that the federal government, the state government, your local government allows you to do. So... Um, with that, we're about to, to wrap up here. Mark, any of your final comments here? We want to thank you again for coming in. How much time do I have? You have about 30 seconds. Well, real quickly, um, I encourage people to come forward and tell their story anywhere in any venue they can because even if they don't get compensated, even if nobody goes to jail, by telling the story, they can get word out and stop it and prevent the next person. They do that in these Madoff-type schemes and, and, and everything else. Let's just get the word out and let people protect themselves. Right, and, and I think that's so true, and that's what we try to sell when we talk to seniors. You know, you're helping your fellow uh, community people about trying to stop these frauds. So with that, uh, that will end today's session of the Safe Senior Hour. I want to thank Mark Smicks for being here. And we look forward to uh, our uh, to having you back again. And we want to thank you, Mark. And with that, that's the end of the uh, Safe Senior Hour. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.